You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Nuisance-level hacktivism continues to surround U.S. protests. The Hegesa APT is active in Southeast Asia. Goblin Panda is back with USB-born malware. A new strain of ransomware is described, Tycoon. The EU considers whether to sanction Russia over the GRU's hack of Germany's Bundestag. CISA launches a new public resource for cybersecurity. Zufakar Ramzan from RSA on cybersecurity and digital risk in the context of pandemics. Our guest is Grant Goods from GuardSquare on security of mobile app voting. And a Texas man pleads guilty to conspiracy to commit money laundering in the course of a BEC scam. From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, June 4th, 2020. Episodic nuisance-level hacktivism continues to accompany protests in the U.S. According to KXAN, Anonymous has claimed responsibility for taking down an Austin, Texas public website in an anti-police gesture, and Variety reports that K-pop fans remain an odd force in social media hashtag jamming. Anonymous, as we've had occasion to remark, is now probably better regarded as a lifestyle brand than as an identifiable group. And in that respect, come to think of it, it's a lot like K-pop. More style than conspiracy. This morning, Malwarebytes published an update to their research into the Hegesa Group, an advanced persistent threat first described by Tencent early last year. Hegesa is, Malwarebytes says, with circumspection and ambiguity that Hegesa is believed to be tied to the Korean peninsula and is thought to have been active at least since 2016. It's used Ghost and Plugax Trojans in the past. In its current campaign, Hegesa is using what Malwarebytes describes as a malicious shortcut file that stages a multi-stage attack. Hegesa establishes its initial presence through spear phishing, with the messages carrying a malicious LNK file bundled within an archive file. Kaspersky reports finding a new strain of USB-based malware, USB Culprit, that's being run by Chinese-speaking threat actors Cyclodec or Goblin Panda, the two operational entities that are active under a mutual quartermaster. USB Culprit is intended for use against air-gapped systems. Its targets have been in Southeast Asia, primarily Vietnam, but also Laos and Thailand. It's worth noting that when people talk about malware or stolen information being able to cross an air gap, that's less exotic and magical than it sounds. In general, as in this case, 
It refers to malware being loaded onto some removable media. This isn't a new technique. It's generally believed that Stuxnet, for example, infested the Iranian uranium centrifuges via baited USB drives. So, important safety tip, don't stick that thing in your computer. You don't know where it's been. Another bit of research published this morning comes from BlackBerry, which describes a new strain of ransomware the researchers are calling Tycoon. They describe it as a multi-platform Java ransomware targeting Windows and Linux that has been observed in the wild since at least December 2019. The operators deploy it as a trojanized Java runtime environment and use an obscure Java image format to, as BlackBerry puts it, fly under the radar. Tycoon attacks have been highly targeted, hitting small and medium-sized companies in the education and software sectors. The attackers establish themselves on the network by working through a compromised remote desktop protocol server, that is, an RDP server. Similarities in naming conventions, as well as some overlap in the language of the ransom notes themselves, suggest that Tycoon might be related to the Dharma Crisis Gang. So far, only a relatively small number of victims has been affected, but the campaign is still young. Akamai has warned that its honeypots have shown that stealth worker botnet remains an active threat, affecting Windows and Linux systems. Stealth worker was discovered in February 2019 by Malwarebytes and further examined last October by Fortinet. Stealth worker is known for its ability to brute force popular platforms and services, including Drupal, WordPress, Joomla, OpenCart, Magento, and MySQL. As Akamai points out, Botnets like these prey on weak authentication measures and automation in order to infiltrate servers and infect them with malware. The company sees Stealth Worker as an illustration of why multi-factor authentication and sound password policies, like using difficult-to-guess passwords and never reusing them, is an important security step. Politico sees the German intention to prosecute a Russian GRU operator, Dmitriya Baden, for hacking the Bundestag as indicating hardening European attitudes toward Russian cyber operations. Even TASS is authorized to take notice of the indictment. EU diplomats met yesterday in Brussels to begin consideration of whether or not to impose sanctions against those involved in the cyber incident. This would be the EU's first use of its sanction authority against cyber operators. There is a national election coming up here in the U.S. this November, which will be here before you know it. Grant Goods is chief scientist at GuardSquare, a mobile application security firm. He shares his insights on the security of mobile app voting. In general, there's two overlapping security concerns here. One is the whole field of mobile application security in general. And the second is the security of any form of non-in-person, not paper voting. Uh, the, the second category is a, is is a is I would I would say an academic research topic. It is it is not a solved problem. The whole question of verif- verifiability of a vote, secrecy of a vote, and we're talking individual votes here. They are tough problems to solve without a, the classic paper ballot approach. However, putting that aside, I think the, the big challenge here is to provide the best possible security so that attacks from uh, clearly nation-state actors might be interested in influencing the outcome of an election. Uh, we need to make sure that the, we're putting our best security foot forward with these types of applications. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, and I can't help wondering about 
the whole issue of timing. You know, it, it, to me, it seems like it would be one thing if we had the benefit of time, if we had a few years to work through this and to test it and, and that sort of thing. But as we come up on this election this year, this sort of, uh, I guess, double whammy of uh, the possibility that people won't be able to vote in person, and then also knowing that there could be some uh, some outside influences who are trying to affect our election, um, that really uh, presents um, interesting challenges. I, I fully agree. I think that this has been a problem, as I mentioned, a number of decades. The consideration of how to do an electronic vote, whether it be in person with a voting machine or remotely over the internet. But it's it's now... <laughs> Due to our current situation, this is going to have to be addressed. And effectively, I think this may accelerate the entire field. We're probably going to make some missteps. I'm, I'm almost certain of that. But I think we can avoid the most obvious ones. And, and I think uh, I, would, I would stress that the, the key to in almost any mobile application security problem is not to rush. In this case, we know this is coming. We have until in the U.S. until November. That should be adequate time to create a design it will not be perfect. Uh, it will be academics who will say you have this and this and that flaw, but we will get a good design. Then you need to make sure the vendor producing the software is reliable and trustworthy themselves. Then we must, in my opinion, institute some form of oversight on that software. Uh, it needn't be the entire world. It can be, a, 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 again, a limited subset. Uh, we need people that are not associated with the people in the election that it can give oversight. And if we combine all of that and then apply standard uh, software design principles, use good cryptography, and then harden the app properly, I think the result will be immune or largely immune to the sorts of concerns we have. That's Grant Goods from GuardSquare. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, yesterday announced the launch of a new public resource – for information about cybersecurity and the other areas in the agency's portfolio. CISA Director Krebs said yesterday in an interview on Intelligence Matters that as a matter of course, nations would collect COVID-19 information. He said, quote, We do expect every intelligence service to be in the mix here, end quote. China has been the most brazen in its pursuit of information about the pandemic and research into treatments, but COVID-19 is an obvious intelligence target. NATO yesterday issued a statement of solidarity with all healthcare and research organizations that have been affected by cyber attacks. And finally, a 64 year old Texas man has taken a guilty plea in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Texas, Houston Division, to a charge of conspiracy to commit money laundering. Kennedy Kim acknowledged his role in a business email compromise scam in which he impersonated corporate persona to either intercept or initiate electronic funds transfers, the money being diverted into accounts he controlled. He faces up to 20 years in prison when he's sentenced later this year, and he's agreed to provide victims with full restitution. That will amount to, as the plea agreement says, at least $745,540.70. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. 
It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Zulfikar Ramzan. He is the Chief Technology Officer at RSA. Uh, Zuli, it's always great to have you back. Um, I I wanted to talk to you today about uh, kind of where we find ourselves uh, with the pandemic and and how cybersecurity folks are sort of sizing this up when it comes to digital risk in this context of being in a pandemic. What can you share with us? So I think, you know, Dave, when I look at what's happened in the world, I mean, nobody could have predicted the situation we're in today. We we sort of saw some aspects of it coming. But if you just think about it a a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago, you and I were together at the RSA conference and uh, the world was still feeling relatively normal. And a few weeks after that, everything shut down really rapidly. And, you know, when I talked to a lot of our customers, they were all focused on how they could, number one, enable and, and get through this change. So they were thinking about what it meant for their workforce and how to enable a remote workforce. Uh, many of them today are grappling and continue to grapple with basic questions around what does the security operations center look like in, in this new world? How should they be thinking about risk at a more fundamental level and really changing what risk means and what acceptable risk entails given the overall crisis? Well, what sort of rebalancing are you seeing going on as people are turning those knobs? What sort of things are they looking at? Well, I think one of the first things that a lot of our customers are looking at is uh, number one, uh, how to rethink their security strategy at a fundamental level. Uh, before, there were a certain set of assumptions they would make about what was acceptable risk, uh, what they could account for, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and so the first thing is, is what does their security operations center look like? The traditional security operations center has been this physical entity, right? People get together. Uh, when there's a big incident, there's a war room, and different parts of the organization get together in that war room. We now have to rethink what that means in a, in a virtual context. Can you have a virtual war room and run it effectively? Now, this is easier said than done because in a massive security incident, it's truly an all-hands-on-deck effort. You tend to have participation from every single line of the business. So your legal team is involved if there are legal implications associated with the incident. Uh, if there is a customer-facing impact, you might have your sales team involved because they may have to talk to customers. 
if your sales team is talking to your customers, your marketing team is involved to figure out what messages have to be relayed and how to uh, package that up appropriately. Then you also have certainly your, your, your IT team, your IT security teams that are always involved in these incidents. And then your finance team may be involved because all of a sudden you've got to write all these checks and, and potentially hire people or bring in third-party incident response expertise, and someone's got to fund all that. And so when mm. you think about it, every aspect of an incident is truly an all-hands-on-deck effort. And to make that successful, you have to find new ways to collaborate, but now in a virtual environment. Yeah, I, I want to touch on incident response in particular. I, I mean, you know, to me, that would often involve, you know, folks getting on planes and traveling to where the incident was and having to deal with things, you know, putting boots on the ground to try to, to work through something. Uh, has that equation changed? Yeah, so I think all of a sudden, there's no expectation of being able to get boots on the ground anymore. Uh, many organizations certainly have closed their front offices. They're trying to minimize visitors. Even if somebody showed up to the office itself, there's no guarantee that anybody would be there to let them in, or hmm. in that case, to a data center. Uh, and so in, in, in that regard, a lot more is happening remotely. Uh, but what's also happening now remotely is, is before when you want to search for an incident or investigate an incident, you would typically look for anomalous behaviors, right? Do I see behavior that's different from what I typically expect? Our understanding of what to expect has also shifted in the context of a pandemic. All of a sudden, everybody's remote. It's not like you have only one person being remote or a handful of people being remote. Everyone's remote hmm. all of a sudden. Their behaviors are very different. Uh, now, the way that I behave is maybe there's a handful of IP addresses to which I, I connect or from which I connect. Uh, I'm using a lot more cloud applications probably if I'm a remote worker. And so that means that being able to investigate what's occurring becomes even more challenging. And so I think that gives rise to two kind of fundamental questions. Uh, one thing I think is, is that how do we sort of evaluate what normal looks like in this new world? And I think, by the way, there's a glimmer of hope here because in many ways, normal is a lot easier to measure and it's a lot easier to get a baseline when everybody's essentially in one place, even if it's mm -hmm. their homes. And so all of a sudden, before when I used to connect to my my work systems, I might be connecting from different locations. If I'm on a plane somewhere, I might be in different countries. Now there's, again, two or three IP addresses. They can pretty much nail down. It's me. My behaviors are much more easy to predict, which means that deviations from those behaviors are easier to identify. So I think that's one a glimmer of hope, quite frankly. Uh, the second element, I think, is that we've also got this new challenge and that all of a sudden, if I was using, let's say, and focus on maybe network visibility to understand what was going on, if individuals are now using more cloud services. If they're at home, they may not be on the enterprise network directly as much anymore. And that necessitates the notion of, of thinking about comprehensive visibility that covers both your endpoint, your cloud, uh, as well as your network core, and being able to amalgamate uh, data across all three elements and bring them together so you can effectively build a proper cybersecurity program that looks at all aspects of what's going on in your digital infrastructure. Hmm. All right. Well, Zulfikar Ramzan, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. 
Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.